Okay, well, this is the second week we're starting a new series on the basics. And this message is going to be about the first question. We're doing it in a question and answer style to make it more memorable. And we already covered it basically the last 10-ish minutes of the last message. So we're just going to kind of expand that to be the whole message this time. So it's going to be very similar but more detail. And what we talked about last week was that we need to understand the basics. And it's worth going back to over and over. We com- I compared it to a first aid kit. A first aid kit is as... There's a lot of goals with a first aid kit, but you want to use it, right? And we talked about how if you have a first aid kit that's so big that maybe it's a backpack size, which I I do believe they have like 50-pound first aid kits, nobody will use it because you can't carry it around or you you won't carry it around. And you could go even bigger than that. You could have an an exhaustive first aid kit that has everything you're ever going to need and it weighs 2,000 pounds, and we call that an ambulance and nobody drives that around either. We leave that to the professionals. And so what we want in terms of the basics is something that's helpful, practical, and portable that you can actually carry around with you in your day-to-day life. And that's why really a little first aid kit is actually really useful. And you could scoff, you know, that I keep this in my car or, or whatever, but it's actually exceedingly practical. 90 to 95 percent of all the medical needs I've ever had, you know, have been solvable in the moment by this, right? So, an ice pack when I twist my ankle, or tweezers when I get a splinter, or um, cut myself a little gauze and a band aid. So, all these things that's the vast majority of the things I run into day to day. And even when I get in a situation where that can't solve it, so Maybe you get a cut and you need stitches. Well, it sure is helpful to have a little gauze until you can get to the doctor or the emergency room or however, whatever ever you need to go for that. And so though it's not exhaustive, it's helpful. And that's kind of the, a metaphor really for the basics. We want something that's portable. I want you to be able to remember it. Practical, I want you actually to be able to use it in your daily life. And general enough that it covers most of the things you encounter in your daily life. And so that's really the goal. And just like the first aid kit, you could say, well, you didn't say this or you didn't say that. Well, it's we can't have something both portable and exhaustive. You just can't have both. So there's going to be things you cut out. And you do your best to cover as much as you can with the space that you have. And so that's really the goal here of what we're doing. And that's the reason that we're doing it in question and answer format is because that's memorable. It's hel- At least for me, it's helpful to have something that you can remember. So the other thing I want you to think about as we go into this is you already have a summary of the basics of the Christian faith. Everyone does. Really, if you're a Christian, even if you're not and you've just grown up in church, you have a summary of what you think the Christian faith is. And the reason you do is because you can't hold the whole Bible in your mind. 
right? None of us can. You can't even hold everything you read this morning in your mind. And so what you do is you remember. There's some things you remember and there's some, some things you don't. There's some things you emphasize and there's some things you don't. And what happens many times is we kind of get this patchwork quilt of all the things that we feel like are helpful for us and it just kind of comes together randomly. You know, things that you've heard in a sermon that were helpful or things you've read in a book that you remember. Um, different things like verses you memorized in Sunday school or with your parents or whatever, that those kind of make up this patchwork of your shortened summary of the Christian faith that you use day to day. And it kind of just comes together haphazardly. Well, at one point, many Christians thought, well, let's do this more intentionally because you know none of us can hold all the knowledge the Bible contains in our mind. So let's think, what are the most important things? And let's do it systematically. So you may still have this patchwork of all the things that are helpful to you, but let's get a foundation where we can start and we are all kind of starting in the same place. And here's, what, here's what's really important, and, and let's be really intentional. Let's all know it. And many of the ways that they did that was uh, through a catechism. And so this is kind of an old idea, really. And we talked about Luther who said at the end of his life, you can burn all my books except for the bondage of the will and the children's catechism. And, you know, none of us grow beyond the basics. And so the goal of this, this is all review really, is to give you something that's helpful, that's memorable, that can help you in your daily life, and also that you can pass on to your kids. And something that is helpful in terms of parenting. And so that's, that's really an introduction here, but just kind of giving you a goal. Why are we doing this? I want to share one verse with you before we turn. Why don't you, you can turn to Luke 1 here. We'll start with that again. Um, Luke 1, and then as you're turning there, I'm just going to make a few points. So, one reason we're doing this the way we're doing it is there's a verse in Matthew where Jesus says, Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Matthew 13, 52. So, that's really the goal here. Uh, I'm not trying to do anything new. It's actually... Nothing really new. None of the truths should be new, or I've done something wrong, really. But I am trying to bring out, bring it out, bring out old treasure and something new. Say it in a different way that might make you think a little bit differently. That's not just repeating maybe the way you've all already thought about it, um, in in a way that hopefully is memorable, practical, and helpful, and it might become to you a new treasure uh, that that you can use in your daily life. So let's start with the question here and the answer, and then let's look at the verse that has all, all the pieces. So the question is, why did God make me? Why did God make me? And the answer, I'm going to read it twice, is God made me to serve him, to be like him, and to be with him all my days. So why did God make me? God made me to serve him, to be like him, and be with him all my days. So let's look at the verses here. Luke 1, 73. 
the oath that he swore to our father, that's God, to our father Abraham, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So this, is, this passage is a prophecy of what Jesus came to do, this, how he fulfills the Old Testament, how he fulfills the promises to Abraham, and the summary and paraphrase of that is, I'll show you where we get it from these verses, being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him, so that's where we get serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, that is, be like him, think about the Old Testament, be holy as I am holy, um, righteous like God is righteous, so we are to be like him, before him, that means with him, all our days, all my days. So that's where we, we get this. But like we started to talk about last week, it's really all over the Bible. This idea is not just here. It's all over the Bible. And so we're going to cover, similar to what we did last week. Last week was like a, we'll call it a 20,000 foot view, and this is going to be maybe a 10,000 foot view of of the whole Bible. And so we could separate it into acts, you know, the the act 1, act 2, act 3, like a like a like a play. Um, and let's just talk about how this idea that we're made to serve God, to be like God and to be with God all our days really does cover the whole Bible. So I'm going to read a lot of verses and then what I think I'll do is I'll read a lot of verses here and then there's six verses at the towards the end that I'm going to have you flip to. And so there'll be a lot of turning, but until then, I think I'll just read because we're going to kind of get a large view and I'm going to skip around. So that, if that makes sense, you can just kind of lean in and listen and then we'll we'll turn to some verses, look at specific verses in just a few minutes. But first, you know, Act 1 of the Bible, at the very beginning of your Bible, is creation. God made everything and it was good. And it was perfect. There was nothing wrong, and so that's a great place to look and see why God made us. What did God make us for? So we look back to see when he made us originally. And this is what Genesis 1 through 3 really says that God made us for. It says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That is, to be like God. Man was originally made to be a picture of God, to be an image of, image of God, which is to be like God. Okay, and then continuing on, this is what God said about man. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So not only was man made to be like God, man was made to serve God, in that he, he, God gave him a mandate. Fill the earth and subdue it. Give order to the earth. Have control. Be basically king of the earth over all the things that I made. And that's to serve God. And then, not only... Is that a big honor, really, to be like God, to be made in the image of God, and then to serve God? The greatest honor, really, is later, which says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So they were with God 
every day. So not only were we made to serve God, to be like God, but we're also made to be with God all our days. And so that's where we start. That's where the Bible starts. That's what it was like when things were perfect. But then we move into Act 2 of the Bible, which is Genesis 3, the fall, right? So creation, perfect creation, then the fall of man. And it makes perfect sense if we think about what we were made to be, what the fall is, right? We were made to serve God, to be like God, and to be with God. And what did we do? Well, God made a perfect world, but he said, you know, don't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve did the opposite of what God created them to, to be and do. Instead of serving God, they served their own desires. Instead of becoming like God, they became unlike God, unholy, ashamed, guilty. And instead of being with God, they hid themselves in the tree. Remember this? To hide from God. And they made garments to clothe themselves. And so they did exactly the opposite. And the result is they were banished from the presence of God in the garden. And so they're not with God anymore. So you see how all those pieces were broken in the fall. They did not serve God. They served their own desires. They were not like God. They were unholy and unrighteous and selfish. All things God is not. And then they were separated from God, both by their own choice first and then by God's decree second, which is true for all of us as well. It's both. Uh, The sinner is not only separated from God because God says you're separated from me. It's because they've chosen that. But it is also because God can't have sin in his presence. It's, It's both. Well, then this is the third act, which is the rest of the Bible, basically from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Revelation 20, 21-ish, is redemption. So man was created perfect, he fell, and then God is working to redeem man, to restore man to his original state. And you can see this, we're made to serve God, to be like God, and to be with God. Throughout the whole Bible, really, it shows up in many places, but we're just going to hit a few highlights. Think about here the Exodus. Think about God choosing a people, and then they're in slavery in Egypt. And think about all the messages that God gave to Moses, basically. And we could sum, we could summarize it this way. That God wanted his people to serve him, to be like him, and to be with him. And that's why he, he rescued them from Egypt. Here's some verses. And the Lord said, My presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. And after Israel had been delivered from the hands of the Egyptians, the Lord said to Moses, spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then remember, too, what, what Moses said, uh, what God said to Moses, Say to Pharaoh, Bring my people, let my people go that they might serve me in the wilderness. So the Exodus, God pulled them out so that they might serve him, that they might be like him, holy and, and righteous, and be with him. The tabernacle, we could say the same thing about the tabernacle. In the tabernacle, 
it was really an image of God being with them, right? The tabernacle was in the midst of the people in the wilderness. There's God's presence with them in the desert, right in the midst. But the tabernacle was not only that. It was not only just a picture of God being with them. It was a call to be like God, right? And so they go to the, the tabernacle and they sacrifice for their sins when they're unholy. And it's a call on, of God on their life to be holy, to be like him, to be righteous, to be set apart from the rest of the world. And not only that, what did they do in the tabernacle? They served God. Served and worshipped him, which again, just a reminder, the word for serve and the word for worship in both Old and New Testament is, is the same word. And so a lot of times we don't think when we hear the word serve, worship, but worship is, you've got to have that a part of your, your idea of service is worship. And so we see there God again and again calling his people to serve him, to be like him, and to be with him, calling them out. But it really, the Old Testament is just a shadow. And Jesus is really the substance here. Now this is where I want you to turn to the verses with me, because this is really helpful. Um, there's two things I want to emphasize here. One way that I think this is really made clear is that the Bible specifically says that Jesus died for these three things in different places. So that's really helpful. So let's look at these here. If you want to start by turning with me to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. It's actually going to be, I guess, maybe like seven verses that we're going to turn to. There's going to be a lot of turning here, but okay. So God made us to serve him to be like him and to be with him all our days. And the Bible specifically says Jesus died for those things. And so we're going to look at two verses on service here, starting here, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. And he, that's Jesus, died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Jesus, one of the things that Jesus did on the cross, he forgave your sins, um, he washed you, but it specifically says here that Jesus died on the cross so that you no longer live to serve yourself, but you're living to serve God. That's a big deal. Now, if Jesus died for that, if Jesus, God, became a man, died on the cross, shed his own blood at a, you know, a huge cost, all for you, that's, that's, you know, I, I've said this so many times, but it's such a good quote that I think it was Thomas Watson said, you know, if all the angels in heaven tried to make one purse to redeem one sinner, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't have enough to pay for it. And yet, God sent his only son to die for you. This, what a price, the blood of God shed for you. God, just becoming a man, what a price that is, shed for you, so that... One of the things he came to do was so that you would no longer live to serve yourself, but to serve him. What a wonderful gift that he's given, and what a high calling, really, to say, if Jesus died for this, I want to live this out. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I'm bought with a price, and now I want to serve God with my life each day. I want to live for him. Hebrews, if you turn again, Hebrews 9 says this is basically the same thing. Um, 
a little bit different. Hebrews 9.14 Hebrews 9, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? This is what the blood of Jesus does for you. This is one of the things that the blood of Jesus does for you. It forgives you, but it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't cleanse you just to cleanse you. It doesn't wash away your conscience just to wash away your conscience. God cleanses you so that you can live a new life. And what does that look like? To serve the living God. It's amazing, really. What it's saying is, you know, repentance is you're going one way and then you're turning around and you're going the opposite direction. And the way we're going is we've got this dirty conscience. We're not living for God. And yet then comes in the blood of Jesus and it says it cleanses us from this from these dead works and and where are we going now? We're going in a totally different direction than that we never were before. We're living to serve God. It's amazing. So uh, I just want you to see this and, and just take it in. Take it in in the big picture, right? This is how man was in the beginning. Then man sinned. And here comes Jesus to do what? To put it all right again. right? To bring us back into a relationship where we can serve God where we want to serve God. It's a pretty amazing, pretty amazing thing. Well, let's look at the next thing. So not only to serve God, but to be like God. Jesus came to die so that we could be like God. Let's turn to Colossians 1. A couple books to the left. Hebrews. Colossians 1.22. Well, let's start in 21, just because. And now you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, Jesus, has now reconciled you in his body of flesh, by his death, why? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus came so that you could be like God, holy and blameless and above reproach. That really what we're getting when we, when we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus is we're like Jesus, really in two different ways. We're like Jesus in, our, in God's sight. He sees us as holy. He sees us as blameless in the judicial sense, but not only that, in a real new spirit sense, right? That we really are new. We really are different. So not only does he cleanse us from our sin judicially, he makes us new. We are new. We actually do love God. We actually do want to know him. We are actually changed in our identity. We went from being haters of God to lovers of God, like regeneration. You not only are holy just judicially, right? Not only does God look down and declare you 
forgiven and righteous, but you actually are new, right? When, when you know, the word saints in the Bible is just the word holy ones. So it could say, you know, to the holy ones in Ephesus. He's not saying that they're, they're holy, but nothing's changed in their life. No, there's, there's two senses, the sense of forgiveness and the sense of newness of life, both. You get both through the blood of Jesus. Think about that. It's good news, really. I mean, if you really think about it, what if he only did one? What if Jesus came and he forgave you of your sins and he just left you there? You're the same old person you always were, but now you're forgiven. You know, it would be like someone coming before a judge who has a drug problem and he says, well, I'm going to let you go this time. And that's it. Nothing changes. It's the same old guy. He, lo- he still loves drugs. Um, nothing's different. Well, the gospel's not like that. The gospel isn't just forgiveness and you're, this, you're left the same old person. It's like, it's like if somebody who has got convicted on drug charges goes before the judge and the judge says, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm also going to invite you into my house and adopt you as my son, and I'm going to um, basically give you kind of a rehab where you're a new person. You don't even want these anymore. You're, you're different. You're looking for something else. And that's really what Jesus does. He not only forgives us, Judicially, he, he changes us. We leave a new person. And it would be so sad just to have one or the other, right? If we were just forgiven but we weren't made new, we'd still be chained. Or if we were made new but we weren't forgiven, we would be new but still guilty before God. He has to do both. And in both ways, we are like Jesus. We're like Jesus in, in His holiness and His righteousness. And then, of course, we're with God. There's, let me read one more verse that, that, um, from Peter here that's similar to this. Well, before I do that, notice one more thing in Colossians 1. It says, blameless and above reproach before him. So you kind of get the idea there of with God as well. It's in the sight of God, and one day we're going to be with God. But... Another verse from Peter that kind of gets the same idea across. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Yeah, 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Very similar idea. The death of Jesus came so that we could live like Jesus. We've got this new life. Well, one more verse from Peter about us, Jesus dying so that we could be with God. It's 1 Peter 3.18. 1 Peter 3.18 says, this is really familiar. We just talked about this verse back in the Father series just a couple weeks ago. But For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. Jesus died so you could be near to God. You could know God now and forever. So think about this. This idea, this idea that we're made to serve God, to be like God, and to be with God all our days, that's why Jesus died. For each one of those pieces. 
It's a, it's a way to separate the work on the cross, which is a big work. There's a lot of pieces, but you could separate them into categories. He came to die so that we might serve God. He came to die so that we might be like God. He came to die so we might be with God. We want all the pieces. We don't want just one or two. We want all. Now, so there's that. Again, kind of a 30,000 foot view. Now think about this. Not only that. Not only... Not only did Jesus die, but think about what we've been saying. The whole narrative of the Bible, right? We could say that's the Father's work, is to plan redemption, right? He, the whole world, um, the whole scope of history of your life, of my life, was laid out by the Father. Then Christ accomplished it on the cross. He made us like, he made, us, he made it to where we could serve God, be like God, and be with God. And then this is also, all three of these things are specifically given as what the Spirit does for us. <laughs> That's really encouraging too. It's like a Trinitarian um, definition of why we're made because God planned it, the Father planned it, Christ accomplished it, and then the Spirit applies it. So let's look at some of the verses now. If you'll turn with me just three more times and then, um, actually maybe I should say four more times. But let's look at this. So now, not only is this what Jesus did on the cross, this is what the Spirit is here to do for us. And it's to help us to serve God, to be like God, and to be with God. So Romans 7, 6, if you want to turn there. It's pretty amazing, really, if you think about it. Jesus died for this, but then he sent his own Spirit to live within you to make it available to you. Romans chapter 7, verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we might serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. God gave, gave you a spirit, His Spirit, to serve God. He came to do, like Romans 8 says, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Right? You couldn't, you couldn't fulfill the law. God came and he gave rules. Here's how to live. Here's how to serve God. And here's how to be like God. And they couldn't do it. The information wasn't enough. They needed God's spirit inside. And that's what he promised. He came to give us his spirit so that what we couldn't do by the law, by the spirit now we can do. We can actually serve God in a way that pleases him. We can actually be like God. Just turn one page over to Romans 8. Saying the same thing about the Spirit here in Romans 8, verse 4. This is kind of a mixture of both Christ's work and our work, or Christ's work and the Spirit's work. So Christ died. He condemns sin in the flesh. Verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit see that capital s there on spirit you probably already know this but just mention it if, just in case is that whenever they put a capital s the commentators well the translators are saying that this is a reference to god the spirit the person the third person of the trinity so that's why they put that capital s there so God came and died for these three things. And then he sent the Spirit to us so that we might serve him and be like him, 
We can live righteous lives. We can actually live different. We can actually live different than the world because of the Spirit's work. We can actually be like Him. It's available to you in a way that it wasn't just through the law. Not just through you know, somebody telling you, do this, this is the way to do it. It's actually the Spirit coming inside of you and empowering you, giving you a new affections, new desires, new power to live like Jesus. What an amazing truth. And then not only that, so that we, the Spirit came not only so that we could serve God, not only that so we, we, we could be like God, but so that we could be with God. Even now, before we get to eternity. And this is another passage we just looked at not long ago, but let's turn there anyways. John 14, 16-18. This will be one more, one more after this, and then I won't make you turn anymore. Um, John fourteen sixteen to eighteen. So this, remember, is Jesus is leaving, and so this is what he says in verse sixteen, fourteen, sixteen. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The Spirit came, not only so we could serve God, not only so we could be like God, but so that we wouldn't be alone. That he would be with us constantly. That God's, that God's presence, just like in the Old Testament was in the midst of them, well it is here still today in the New Testament, but in a greater way. It's not just in the midst of a nation, it's you are a little temple, you are a little tabernacle walking around, and God, if you're a Christian, really is with you in a special way. That's, that's amazing. That's really unreal. I mean, think about how we would treat one another if we really believe that. You remember that? I mean, times in the Old Testament, the reverence they treated the, the tabernacle with, it's like God's in there. You know? And... If you're a Christian, it's true of you. God is, God's in there. And the glory actually shines forth just like it did in the Old Testament. If you really see a Christian being a Christian, it's like glory. You know, it's like, wow, God's, that's God. That's not, that's not a man. That's not something the world does, you know. I remember one time, this is just a, we were out passing out tracks and one of the brothers was out there and the person was like yelling in his face, like super angry. I think it was a lady. He's yelling right in his face. And one of the brothers doesn't go here anymore, but used to, turned and he said to her, you hate me, but I love you. It was like, it was like glory. It was like, that's not the way the world responds. That's not the way the natural man responds, somebody getting right in their face screaming. It's like, I love you. <laughs> and it was awesome. It was like, that's like Jesus. It was like seeing a little piece of Jesus on the earth. And that's what it is, the spirit of Jesus inside of us. That we might serve him, be like him, and be with him. And so this is the last place I'll have you turn. It's a verse that we looked at last week at the very end. So we've covered kind of the broad view, right? Act 1, God made everything perfect. Well, what does it mean? What was man meant to be? To be serve God, have dominion over the earth, to be like God in his image, and to be with God all his days. Well, then we ruined it by doing all the wrong things. And we were cast out of his presence. We were unlike him. And we... We weren't serving him, we were serving ourselves. So then God comes and he restores it through 
shadows in the Old Testament, but then ultimately through Jesus in the New Testament, and then through the Spirit, the sending of the Spirit. And so then, ultimately, in Revelation 22, last place I'll have you to turn, and we we looked at this last week, we see that this is what we'll do forever and ever and ever. It's not just what you're meant to do now, it's what you're meant to do for eternity. Just remember again that the word for worship and the word for serve are the same word. There's actually a couple different words, but one of the specific words um, in Greek is the same word. And this word for worship, some of your translations might say serve, um, is the same word, exact same word for from Luke 1 that we looked at. So Revelation 22, verses 3 through 5. This is after God puts everything right. He comes back. It's kind of interesting. It it might be interesting to you if, you if you have time or are interested to read Genesis 1 through 3 um, and then jump to the back of the Bible and read the last three chapters there because it's the same thing except it's in reverse. So Satan causes the fall you know, at the end in Genesis 3 and God curses him. Well, then right at the end of Revelation, uh, he casts out, you know, defeats the dragon. And then you know, they're, they're in the garden. Well, they're actually cast out of the garden because of their fall. Well, then he brings them back into this you know, new garden, um, new city. And it's just the reversal of everything that happened at the beginning. It's kind of a, an amazing symmetry there, three chapters, three chapters, even the order's reversed. So let's jump ahead here, Revelation 22, 3 through 5. So this is everything's put right, and this is what it will be like. No longer will there be anything accursed. That's certainly a reference to Genesis 3. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. God will be with him. And his servants will serve him or worship him, depending on your translation. Will serve God, will serve him. And they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. That means we'll be like him. And night will be no more. And they will need no light or lamp or sun. For the Lord their God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. That's all our days. Just again, uh, same quote I used last week, but Alexander McLaren says that their name being on their foreheads is just a poetic way of saying they will be like God. The name of God is the character of God, and it will be on our foreheads. It's not, it's not necessarily saying we're going to have maybe a tattoo or something. It just means in a poetic way that we will have a holy character. Our character will be like God, like the very name of God. Um, that's how we're going to be. We're going to be perfected. When we see him, we'll be like him. Uh, when we see him as he is. So let's, that's the review. And now let's just move into the application here, which is really the main piece, really. Um, I wanted you to be able to see where this is in the Bible, but I wanted you to also be able to see that is, I like this answer because it zooms in and it zooms out well, right? So some, some answers don't zoom in and zoom out well. For example, if you are at your work and, and they tell you, you need, to get, you need to get going, you know, well, what is it I'm supposed to be doing? Do your job. It's like, okay. Well, that zooms out well. Like, my job here is just to do my job. Well, sometimes that's really hard to do when you zoom in. Like, well, what does that mean right now in this particular situation? I'm not sure how to do it. Well, this answer, you know, why did God make me? To serve him, to be like him, and to be with him. I hope you can see that it zooms out well. You can see it through all of the Bible, 
from the beginning to the end. But I believe it also zooms in well. So when you look at specific situations in the Bible or you look at specific situations in your life, I think you can really apply it. And so it's one of the reasons I like this, this answer. And, you know, just an aside here, different people have asked me, like, what's your vision for the church? What's, what do you think the mission of the church is? And I really, really believe that one thing that's super important that, that is absolutely necessary is that we take the life of Christ, take the gospel, take the truth from the Bible, you know, however the main things, whatever you want to say, however you want to summarize it, and apply it to our lives. That's really, really, really important. The mission of the church is really just to actually live the Christian life, right? It's like, we want to actually live out the things we know. It's not just, it's not just a, a lecture. It's like, here, I've got some information. I want you to know it. I want you to repeat it back to me. It's not that. And it has to be that plus more. It has to be not just words coming out of my mouth, into your ear, and down onto your, on a piece of paper, out of your pen, in your notebook, and then you put it on your shelf. It's, we want to actually live out what Jesus taught in our daily lives. Right? That's, it's so important. I mean, and think about this. What would it be like if we just took deadly seriously that truth, that we can't just be hearers, but we have to be doers of the word. We don't want to just listen and absorb and know a lot and then just, and then just know it and then not do anything. What if we took it deadly seriously? I've, I can't just let this be in my mind. I've got, I've got to figure out, Lord, what does this mean for my family? What does this mean at my work? What does this mean for my leisure time? What does this mean for my money? I mean, and think about a person who did that their whole life. What if you just, what if, imagine a person who just took a few verses each year, a few verses a year, and they said, I've got to do this. I've got to pray about this. I can't just have read this in my Bible reading plan and then come back and read it next year and it not be real in my life at all. Think about the difference that would make. Think about just a couple of verses, okay? Think about, I'm going to read you 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Think about if a person just said that. It's like, I don't know what this next year is going to hold, but one thing I know is I want to live out what this says, at least more than I did last year. And this is what it says. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How would that change a person's life? Just the, that three verses. Huge impact. Right? We want to live out in a real and significant way what the Bible teaches. And so that's one, you know, one reason I'm trying to make this simple and memorable is because, at least for me, and I think um, for most of the people I've talked to kind of about this idea, is that the more complex theological ideas that we have are really hard to apply in specific situations. It's like, if you have this real complex theological uh, idea, and then you try and zoom in at your work, what does this mean? It's very difficult. And if it's hard, um, most of the time, you don't even have time to process it and, and apply it. We need something simple. And Jesus was great at it. I mean, throughout the whole Bible, and definitely in the Gospels, he's so good at saying something so simple and so real and so practical that everybody there got it. And so... 
We're trying to do that, but we want to apply it to our lives. And I, I'm, I'm wanting this not just to be a theological basics, but that when you can't sleep, when your boss is unreasonable, when people are critical, when you're gathering with your friends, all the other daily challenges or blessings that you can apply this to your life. Zoom in and say, what is God purpose for me here? It's to serve him, to be like him, and to be with him. And I may not be able to do all those, but I could definitely do one of those or two of those. You know? And so we want we want to apply it. Not only that, we want balance, okay? We want balance. So like we, we said, what's the mission of the church? What's the vision of the church? That's a kind of a common question. We want balance in what it means to be, to live out the Christian life. Because you can really easily and um, summarize it to something uh, practical, right? That zooms in really well. It's like, uh, for example, the Great Commission. It, you could say the mission of the church is to um, share the gospel, which is true. That's definitely part of the mission of the church. But if we zoom in and we make all the mission of the church that one thing, we lose something, right? There really are people who believe that. like that. That's their one purpose in life. My one purpose is to just share the gospel with as many people as possible. And they, they lose something in doing that. They've cut off. It's not as robust a definition as you would want. It's not as full. It's not a full life. It's not a full, as full of a, of a life as God wants you to have. Because, you know, there's people that serve, that share the gospel a ton, and then they're not like Jesus, right? Or there's people that share the gospel a ton, but what if, um, what if they do that at the expense of their family or something like that? There's this... There's this tendency for me, and I think kind of a human tendency is like, let's simplify. I want something simple and practical that I can, I want it simple, simple enough that I can do it and feel like I understand it. We, want, we don't want that at the price of uh, full, the full answer that the Bible has to give us. Does that make sense? I'll give you another example. I'll give you an example from my life. So I used to really believe that it was like abiding in Christ basically meant being with Christ consciously, you know, communing with Christ all the time. And I felt really guilty every day after work, almost every day, basically because I'm working and I'm truly trying to like be with God during the time, but I'm so focused on what I'm doing and it requires so much of my attention. I, I can't pray during it or um, not the way that I think what it means, what spiritual person would do. And so then I would leave and I'd be like, I haven't prayed for four hours because I've been totally engrossed in what I'm doing. Well, I, I left feeling really guilty and down a lot. And the reason was I had this one-dimensional view of what it means, what God's purpose for my life was, which was to be with God. And so every day, basically, my job was getting in the way with that. It's like, I've got to think about these kids, and now I can't actually think about God, which was a totally wrong view, right? Because God made me not just to be with him, that's part of it, but to serve him. I was serving God, and that was good. And I was feeling guilty about it. And... Um, to be like God. I could have been serving God and being like God all day long, and then I would go to my car and feel super guilty because I didn't pray, you know? And one-dimensional definitions can really hurt you. I'll give you another example from history. I read this biography. Um, the, it seemed like the person did kind of what I did, uh, took that one-dimensional view of being with God as the be-all, end-all, and it actually is the most important of all the three. But but there's more to life um, in fact, God made life in such a way that you can't pray all the time or you'd starve, right? 
Um, and if you have kids, you can't or your kids would starve, right? And I was reading a biography, and the guy, it was a Christian biography, and the guy really emphasized that, and you get, you get the feeling from that from the biography. He would tell um, how many hours he prayed a day a lot. So I was like, I prayed eight hours a day, you know, for whatever, and my son prays nine hours a day, and it's like all this talk of like praying, 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 praying. It's like, it's a good thing. He talks about his friends and how much they pray today. It's like, in his mind, it was very clear from reading the biography, this is the big thing. This is the way you can, this is God's plan for your life. Uh, is to just be with him as much as possible. But then it's kind of the bubble kind of got popped because they've inserted a quote from his wife. And it really shows the, that you can't do that. Um, you can't live your life like that. And they asked the wife, well, how many hours of a day do you pray? You pray eight hours a day, right? Well, basically because the husband is teaching, like, that's what it means to be a spiritual Christian. And she says, no, I can't pray eight hours a day. I have to wash his clothes and, and cook his meals. It's impossible. I don't have time to do that. And so you really see that, like, if you get a one-dimensional view, it's either going to crush you or it's going to crush somebody else (laughs) because you can't actually live it out, right? You can't pray eight hours a day every day because, you, like I said, you would starve. Somebody's got to cook your meals. Somebody's got to support you financially. Um, And so what, what that led to was basically, here, I'll live this spiritual life, but at the expense of my wife is unable to. Like, here, I'm on the pinnacle of what it means to be a Christian at the expense of everybody around me who can't because they have to give me money and they have to wash my clothes and they have to cook me meals. And so I get to be the real spiritual Christian and it's sad that you guys don't. That's not the life of Jesus, right? <laughs> That's not what Jesus' life was like. He came and he served people and he was with God in the midst of it, right? He lived this out perfectly. He had the balance, right, of serving God. He was like God, obviously, because he was God and he was with God, but he did all. He, he didn't just have this one-dimensional Christianity. How hard and sad would it be if we read the Gospels and the life of Jesus was just like that biography? Yeah, Jesus prayed eight hours a day, eight hours a day, nine hours a day, nine hours a day. And um, it's like, well, how many of us can be like that? Maybe like one? Like, let's all try and support one person to be like that? That'd be so sad. Like, well, here's the, here's the good news. We all can be like Jesus because it's not just uh, how many hours a day you pray. It's serving God where you are. It's being like God where you are and being with God where you are, um, both when you're busy, but also time when you, um, when you take time alone. But that can't be all day. So let's just apply this. Let me just ask you this. In your life, do you kind of lean more on one of these at the expense of the others? Because you really want all of them. Right? You don't want to be out serving so much you don't spend time with God. You don't want to spend so, so much time reading in prayer that you're crushing other people when you should be serving them. You don't want to um, do all this service for God but not have any Christ-likeness. We want all the pieces. And do you lean on one of those more than the other? Maybe you need some balance. Maybe, maybe there's times where you need to take some time off and from serving your family as a mom and say, you know, honey, I need... I need to get a hotel um, next month, just one night, and uh, I, w- I want some time alone. Uh, I, my prayer time is just always cut short. My time in the Bible is always cut short. Would you just, would you, could I do that? Or something like that, if you're always serving. Uh, maybe it's the other end. Maybe you spend tons and tons of hours reading and studying and praying, um, but you don't serve. Pray about that. Um, 
just ask yourself, do I lean in on one of these harder than the others, and is there a balance that I need? And where, where does that come? Just pray about it. Ask God to help you. We don't want to get, I mean, I guess the negative side of the serving part is probably, if you're burned out right now, you're probably leaning in on the serving one, right? And you need to be refreshed, be with God, be poured into, not just be pouring out. You know, burnout might be a symptom of that. Um, maybe, yeah, I don't know what it is for you, but just something to think about and to pray about. Another way you could apply this to your life is as a parent, okay, you read the Bible, this is a good thing to talk to your kids about, right? So you read through a Bible story, and it's really confusing. So there's a ton of them in the Old Testament, right? You're reading the, Old Te- you're reading the picture book Bible, and it's like, wow, this story is wild. <laughs> and that happens a lot. And you're like, I'm not sure what, like, I kind of feel like I should say something at the end, like, what's the meaning? And it's like, this is a wild story. <laughs> well, you can ask, what, did anyone serve God? Was anyone like God? Was anyone with God? And sometimes the answer is nope, <laughs> right? And even that is helpful, right? Uh, Joy and I, this week, were reading her picture of Bible, and we read through Jacob, and he's stealing the birthright, and he's lying, and he's pretending to be somebody else. And we, I ask her, did anyone serve God? Nope. Was anyone like God? Nope. Was anyone with God? Nope. And then we read the next story, and then God meets with Jacob. And at Bethel, remember, there's he sees the sees the ladder to heaven. And I said, actually, this might have been multiple weeks ago. Um, I think it definitely was. But basically I said, okay, why is it important to know that God wants to be with people who um, lie and deceive and don't serve God? And she said, for little kids, which is good, right? Applying it. Like God actually wants to meet with people who are imperfect, who don't do these things, and he wants to forgive them. Um, and that was really helpful. I was like, oh, that's a good application. You're actually thinking about it, like, not just thinking, what did they do, but, yeah, I lie, and um, does God still want to be with me? Does God still want to forgive me? And so a question like this, like I said, I feel like it zooms in well. Like, you're reading through Leviticus, you know, with your kids or whatever. It's difficult. Well, you can kind of separate it. What was God's desire there? He's wanting them to serve him, he was wanting them to be like him, and he was wanting them to be with him. And all those rules are really pointing to those things, right? Why, why, did, why does God have all these, well, he wants them to be holy, he wants them to be separate, he wants them to be able to come into his presence, um, be with him. Well, that, what does that mean? They have to be holy, they have to be um, forgiven. So, that's something. And then does it apply to your everyday life? Again, to parents, I ask Again, only one of my kids can talk, so I asked her about it. I said, why, why do you think this question, why, uh, why did God make me? When do you think about that? And she said, when I have scary dreams. I thought, well, I never would have thought of that. But what she's saying is, God's with me, you know? Like, I think that's what she meant by basically is like, I'm in my bed, I'm all alone, I'm really scared, but God's with, you know, God will be with me all, all the time. And um, so, what about for you? You know, what about your life? I wonder. I wonder if you thought about it this week. I hope so. I hope it was helpful. I think about it. You know, when I get in situations, I don't know what the purpose is, or I'm frustrated. Well, God, what? What's my purpose here? It's to serve you, to be like you, and to be with you.
I want it to be helpful to you. I want it to be incorporated into your life. I want it to be basically the first patch on this patchwork quilt of all the truth, you know, that is this is your summary of the Bible, that it might help you. Um, because I feel, I feel that it is practical and it's simple enough that kids, even kids, could, could use it. So, the way I'll conclude is this. You know, the way I started is Matthew... We talked about new treasures and old treasures. The reality is, is um, I think most of you already know an answer almost very similar to this, okay? And it's the catechism question. What is the chief in a man? You've heard that before. I think most of you probably know it. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, um, I'm just saying the exact same thing, just a little bit different, right? Just hopefully to make you think about it just a, just a little bit different. Because what? How can we glorify God in any situation? Well, there's many ways you you could serve God. You could be like God. You could be with God. Those are all ways for you to glorify God in any part of your day. Zoom in on any part when you wake up, when you have time alone, when you go to work, when difficult things happen, when there's blessings and good things happen, when you're serving your kid, when you're with your family, when you go home. When, when you're driving, some of you may have significant drive time in your job. Well, what, what's, God per, what's God's purpose in that? Why would God give me you know, 10, 20, 30 hours a week in a car? Well, you could serve God. You could be like God. You could be with God um, in whatever you're doing. And so I hope it's practical. I hope it's helpful to you. And I really I hope it's helpful as parents, too. Any thoughts or questions before we close? Comments?